Good morning. We're grateful for your presence this morning and the opportunity to be together. We're thankful for this good crowd that's assembled, and whether you're a member or whether you are one of our visitors, we are grateful for you to be here. If you're visiting with us, I know there are a few in our audience. We'd like for you to take a moment to hang around after services are over that we can get a chance to visit with you and greet you. And we'll let you know how thankful we are that you are here. If you get a visitor's card and fill it out and turn it into someone, we'd be grateful for that as well. So we have a record of your attendance. But we are thankful for the opportunity to be together this morning. There's a lot of things that are going on, as we usually say, here at SIDI. Uh, of course, as we've mentioned uh, in our announcements in various times, we're thankful uh, that the Queen is in our presence this morning, and we're going to continue to give her a hard time and embarrass her as much as we can. Um, but that was a good time Friday night. Several of us got to go and visit and be a part of that. Several of us got to come back and be a part of game night. I told the Masterson's while we were there, the football game has referees, but game night needs its own referee. And I guess that falls to the preacher. So somebody's got to come back and make sure that there's no tables overturned or anybody fussing or fighting during game night. But we're thankful for that time to be together. Uh, we've got the art trip. We've got the ladies' retreat. We've got the teachers' appreciation dinner, all kinds of things going on. And we would love for you to be a part of that if you can or certainly to be a part of that, be a part of our congregation here. We've got several new families that have placed membership, and we look forward to encouraging them as they have already been encouraging us. This morning we want to talk for just a few moments about uh, something that is certainly in the news a lot. You don't have to turn on the news very long to know that there are, are many things in our nation, many issues sometimes, that deeply divide us. And I'll pause right there for just a moment to say, some of you heard me say that already this week, because I took a step out on a limb and, and went on Facebook and tried to make a little video to preview the sermon. And I only say that to say, if you are on Facebook, we would certainly like for you to follow our page, to like our page. We're going to do our best to use that as a tool to reach out to the community, to try to share with folks the things that are going on. So uh, I've been embarrassed myself all weekend after I talked myself into doing that. Uh, so I'm not trying to draw any attention to me, but we want to draw attention to what the congregation here is doing that is, that is good, the things that we are doing that we want people to be a part of. So I would just take a moment to mention that uh, please find our page, please, please like it and share it. We want folks in the community to know how active we are and all the things that we have going on. But in that video, I began by, by mentioning that statement. There are many things in our country that divide us. And one of those things is the idea of whether or not you are pro-choice or pro-life. Now again, it doesn't take very long turning on the news to see all kinds of things, all kinds of different issues that we might say fall on one side of the aisle or the other. But regardless... When we ask the question, is someone pro-choice or pro-life, certainly in the context of our politics, we understand exactly what that means. But this morning, and especially if you've got your bulletin in front of you, we want to ask the question, is God pro-choice? You see, when we ask that question, and we ask it, and if you think about it in context of our politics, you think about some of the pictures and images that are on the screen here about what it means to be pro-choice in regard to a woman and her body and what it means in regards to pro-choice or pro-life. But this morning we asked the question, is God pro-choice? And I would submit to you that the answer actually is absolutely. Absolutely God is pro-choice. And what we want to do this morning is take a look at several passages and about four points from the Bible to understand exactly what we mean when we say that, yes, God is pro-choice. 
Now, we've got a lot of passages to look at. I hope that you'll follow along. I try not to go too fast, but you may jot them down as we'll look at some of them together this morning. But we begin in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. He gave them a choice. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. Of course, we know that he goes on to say, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Is God pro-choice? It seems here that he gave them a choice, at least on one hand, that they were free to eat of every tree of the garden. What about Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 28? There the Bible says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord God, which I command you today. And then in verse 28, And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after the other gods which you have not known. I set before you a choice, so to speak, a blessing or a curse, and the question if, if you choose whichever way to go into, it sounds to me like God is pro-choice. We all know Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 actually uses the word there. Choose for yourselves or choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites, gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. And Joshua makes that statement there at the end of his life. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God is pro-choice in our ability to choose whether or not to serve him. And then, of course, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, we read that we're talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I've always enjoyed the way the Hebrew writer says that. There is a choice there. And it might have been a difficult choice somewhat for a human being to serve God and to, to take what goes along with that as opposed to enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Pleasures, no doubt, sin many times brings us pleasure, but the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had a choice of what he was going to do. So I would submit to you this morning, is God pro-choice? Absolutely, he is. But let's look this morning together at a few examples that might make it a little easier for us to understand exactly what they mean. You see, I, I wouldn't recommend necessarily that you start telling everyone that God is pro-choice because in the instance of the pictures and the images that were just on the screen, we could be confusing, misleading to people. But when it comes to us having a choice, yes, God gives us a choice. First of all, this morning, God is pro-choice in our freedom. God is pro-choice in our freedom. Now, what are we talking about when we say freedom? Well, perhaps you recognize this document. Perhaps you've memorized the portion that was very at the very part, at the very top, or the very beginning of it. Perhaps you had to memorize it in school. We, the people of these United States, the preamble that was written so that we might understand the things that this country was founded upon, that we have certain freedoms. And we're thankful for that. 
I try to say that quite often because, yes, we are disappointed very often in our country. We are disheartened when we watch the news and we see these things that are going against the will of God, but we live in a great country. We're thankful for the freedoms that we do have, and we continue to push to have those freedoms and, of course, to push our country to stay away from their sinful ways. But we are thankful that we have freedom. We're thankful for those who have fought for our freedom. We're thankful for those who have fought and even died for our freedom. God is pro-choice and that we have the freedom. The freedom to live in this country. The freedoms that go along with living in this country. But God is not pro-choice in our freedom after we violate the conditions of that freedom. Or after we violate the law. Or another way that you can say it, of course, is break the law. He's pro-choice in our freedom, but not once we break or violate the law. We think about Romans chapter 13 and verses 1 through 4. Paul says, let every subject, excuse me, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And he continues on down there through verse 4. But, but it would appear that Paul here is reminding us that we have a responsibility to be subject to the governing authorities. You see, when, when the government puts forth laws... We, we are pro-choice. God is pro-choice in our freedom, but not once we violate the laws of that freedom. There have been a few times, even already in the few short months, that we have driven over the mountain to come and be here, that I wish that that speed on top of the mountain was 95 miles an hour. But unfortunately, no one's going to let me do that. And the first time that I try to do that, and one of those guys in those little cars with the fancy lights pulls me over, he's not going to give me the freedom anymore. He's going to give me what I deserve for violating the law, however much that ticket might cost, for violating the law. God is pro-choice in our freedom, but not once we violate the law. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, again, continuing with the same type of thought, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And of course, the passage that we are very familiar with, Mark chapter 12 and verse 17 And Jesus answered and said to them, as the discussion is being had about taxes, that dirty word taxes, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We don't like taxes. We don't always like the rules that the government gives us. But God is pro-choice in our freedom. We're thankful for this great country and the freedoms we have. But not once we violate that law, whether it's speeding or maybe what we might consider something to be more serious or even something as frustrating as we might consider to be having to pay taxes. God is pro-choice in our freedom, but not once we violate the law. We're thankful we live in a country that has the freedom. We're thankful we live in a country where we don't lose a hand or a foot or an eye or anything. But whatever the government might put forth as some of the punishment, even though it may not be as much as we might consider it have been in the first century or New Testament times or even before that, We have to be subject to those who are governing. And God is not pro-choice in our freedom once we violate that law. Number two this morning, God is pro-choice whether we marry. God is pro-choice whether we marry. That's right. You may have been a part of a congregation such as this one or others where there's always that one person who is single and maybe uh, never uh, intends to get married. And that would be okay. We think about Matthew chapter 19 and verse 12. We know that God, here that, that uh, the Bible says, Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother. Excuse me, I have the wrong passage there. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 12. I was looking at the wrong place in my notes. Jesus here speaking says, For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So there might be in certain instances, and there are at least three that are listed here, men who would not marry for various reasons, including one would be that they might do that for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. As well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain, and notice what he says, even as I am. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine being married to the Apostle Paul? Could you imagine him always being gone? Can you imagine worrying whether or not he would even return because of all the things that he was going to go through? It would have been tough. But continuing on into verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We understand that Paul here, it would have been tough. We understand that God is pro-choice whether we marry. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, a passage familiar to us. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And even a passage that's less familiar to us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, notice who, who he's talking about. Some will depart from the faith and they will begin to do certain things, Paul tells Timothy. And you look on down at the beginning of verse 3, forbidding to marry. There would be some people who would forbid people to marry. And he seems to say here that would be something that is wrong because I believe God is pro-choice whether we marry. We were talking about this the other night at our house. You know, I enjoy my, my quiet time. I enjoy my time to be alone and to have some, some peaceful time to myself. But I can't imagine doing that every single day of my life besides possibly interacting with folks at church services or at work. Uh, most of you may be in that position, but maybe you are. Maybe you just like being by yourself. You're not interested in getting married. That would be okay as well. God is pro-choice whether we marry. But God is not pro-choice whether we marry after the ceremony. After the ceremony. You know, in our country today, we've said for many years that, that one of the blights on our country, one of the things that's happened that's, that's caused our society to go downhill, if you will, is, is the rising rate of divorce. The families that have been split up. Those people, and there are many young people, even today, who would say, enter into marriage and, and treat it as a test run. Treat it as something that we'll just try and we'll see how it goes because it's something that's not a big deal if a person is to get divorced or get divorced multiple times. God is pro-choice whether we marry but not after the ceremony. Let's talk for a few moments to understand this a little better about God's design for marriage. You see, it's, very, it's really easy to make that statement that God's pro-choice whether we marry but not after the ceremony. But, but what is His design? What is the divine design by God for marriage? Number one, there would be those who never married. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
was on Facebook for a few moments last night, and there were several weddings, even the last few days and yesterday, of friends and folks that we know. And that's usually a beautiful occasion of a man and a woman be joined together, leaving their father and mother and becoming one flesh. God designed marriage to be for those who are never married. As well, in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, Paul discusses that marriage will be for those whose mate dies. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. And again, at the end of verse 3 there, or middle, if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Who may marry? Those who never marry and one whose mate died. But does that cover everything? No. We look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 and we see another person or another group of people here who might be married. We know this is the passage we usually turn to in regards to that where Jesus is being asked about that and he answers in Matthew Matthew 19 and verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And you see the kind of graphic, if you will, there at the bottom of the screen. God's design, divine design for marriage. One man and one woman for one lifetime with one exception. That's God's design for marriage. And there may be folks here in this audience that fit into all of those different categories. And that is perfectly fine because that is God's design for marriage. For the sake of time this morning, this is not a lesson on marriage, divorce, and remarriage or anything. But we want to touch on it because God is pro-choice whether we marry But not after the ceremony, and especially for those who would treat it as some type of situation like a trial and error. Now, unfortunately, in our lives, we sometimes find folks who are in situations where they marry someone who then becomes someone that they never thought that they were. We see situations that arise that you would never imagine or believe. I stand before you this morning, having witnessed some of those I stand before you this morning as someone who can't and is not trying to play, play, uh, excuse me, pass judgment on every single situation. But it is important that we think about God's design for marriage. And whether you fall into the first or second or third category here, that was God's design. That is the way that it is intended to be. And when other folks abuse it, when other folks treat marriage as something that is just to be played with or trifled with, they're in a dangerous situation. But for those who follow the will of God, you can be blessed in knowing that you have done exactly what he has told us to do in his design for marriage. Number three this morning, God is pro-choice whether we have children. God is pro-choice whether we have children. Now maybe you've known someone in a congregation, as we said a moment ago, that decided to remain single. Somebody that you thought would never get married. And maybe you thought that was kind of silly or funny. Maybe you've known those in the congregation as well who thought that it was their responsibility to fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth. Now, the Danleys might have been accused of that a time or two before, but we're done, all right? Four and done. I've said that many times. God is pro-choice whether or not we have children. We think about the 127th Psalm, beginning in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. We were reminded of that great example there of like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And in verse 5, happy, happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. 
And then we think as well, even in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It can be a wonderful thing to have children. It can be an encouraging thing. Even there, as the psalmist said again in verse 5, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Now, let's look at the passage that says that you have to have children. Well, it's got blanks there on the screen because we won't find it where God says that thou must have children because God is pro-choice whether we have children or not. And some people are thankful for that. You might have known the person who took it on as their responsibility to be fruitful and multiply, and you might have known some folks that you said, I hope they never have children because they're not ready for it. They're not mature enough to handle it. I would say just as much as I believe that some people enter into marriage very lightly and not thinking about the ramifications of it, some folks, unfortunately, enter into having children in the same way. Now, at the same time, we have to be very careful how we treat those who might become pregnant outside of wedlock or before marriage. We have a responsibility to encourage those who might find themselves in a sinful situation. Certainly, anyone has the chance to repent of their sin. We want to encourage folks. but We also want to encourage people to be responsible, not only, again, with marriage, but even with having children. But as you know, and even from the beginning of our lesson, God is pro-choice whether we have children, but not after conception. You see, when we began with all those pictures on the slide, on the screen, we understood what that was about because it is a great debate in our country today and for many years. But God is pro-choice whether we have children, but not after conception. I tried to look up some recent numbers to make sure the slides were correct, but according to what I could find, every 30 seconds a baby is killed by abortion in this great country that we love, that gives us lots of freedom, what we call sometimes the land of the free and the home of the brave. Every 30 seconds, roughly, a baby is killed by abortion. And if you go back as far as the history of this country, the 242 or so years of this country, again, estimates around 1.4 million soldiers have been killed in war. 1.4 million men and even women who have given their lives for us to have the freedoms that we have in this country. And yet every year, every year, that many babies are murdered by abortion. Now looking at statistics over the last few days and preparing this lesson and, and trying to get the most up-to-date statistics, uh, there's actually appears to be somewhat of a decline in the abortion rate. And you look at different folks and you get different numbers. But it's roughly around that number of 1.4 or, or over a million babies every year who are murdered by abortion. God is pro-choice whether we have children, but not after conception. If you were to take the total population of Alaska and Hawaii and Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and even Oklahoma, all of the total population of those states together, you would still not have the number equal to the babies who have been killed with the judicial blessing of this country, the United States, and our government since 1973. It's a sobering thought to think about. We love our country in many ways. We love those who have fought for our country and have died for our country. When we honor those people, that's a wonderful thing. But to take that and compare it to the number of babies who have been killed by abortion in the history of this country, 
It's a very sobering thought to think about. And it's something that God takes very serious. God is pro-choice whether we have children, but not after conception. When you look at some of the passages and some of the different reasons and arguments in the Bible for not, uh, for not killing babies, for not killing those infants, one of those is the word that's used in the New Testament by the word of brephos. In Luke chapter 1 and verses 41 and even in verse 44, there at the top of the screen, you may recall that the babe of Elizabeth leaped in her womb. You may recall that that babe is John the Immerser, John the Baptizer, and the word that is used there is brephos, for the babe that was still inside of her womb, that was reacting, that was leaping in her womb. And in verse 44, as the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. If you look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, the Luke's account of Jesus being born, the babe in the manger, the babe in swaddling cloth, it's the same word, brephos. And even in Luke chapter 18 and verse 15, as Jesus has folks gathered around him there, they bring to him infants. But the word there is brephos, the same word used for John the baptizer inside of his mother Elizabeth's womb. And when we look at all these passages, it would seem to point to the fact that the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, through Luke here, is pointing out the physician, Luke, that the baby who is an infant, the babe who is in the swaddling cloths in the manger, would be the same babe who might be in the womb. When we think about abortion, it is very, very serious. And even from other passages that we don't have time to look at this morning from the Bible. When we talk about pro-choice, really being pro-choice as our nation describes it in regards to our laws, pro-choice after conception is really pro-death to the born or the unborn or the partially born. Pro-choice after conception has been a blight upon our nation and pro-choice after conception has been destroying our consciences as a people again for a very long time. God is pro-choice whether we have children but not after conception. Then fourth and finally this morning, God is pro-choice relative to His offer of salvation. God is pro-choice relative to His offer of salvation. John chapter 3 and verse 16, everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But how many people consider, there's a choice there, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's not going to hit you upside the head. I can't sprinkle some kind of magic dust on you. I can't do it for you. It's a choice. And believe it or not, God is pro-choice relative to His offer of salvation. As well, in Matthew chapter 11, we talked about this on Wednesday night in our extending invitation at the end of our classes. Jesus says, come. There's a choice there. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're taking notes there, there's not 34 verses. You may have already turned to Matthew 11, but it's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I realize that on my slide and just want to correct that. But God is pro-choice relative to his offer of salvation. We sometimes wish that he would hit us upside the head or someone that we love and just instantly make them a Christian. But no, he gives us a choice. God is pro-choice relative to his offer of salvation, but not after death. Two familiar passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things 
done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. God is pro-choice, whether or not we want to obey his will, but not after death. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 through 9, the, the more serious passage in my mind, the same type of thing that we will stand before God, but in verse 8, in flaming fire, the Lord will return. The Lord Jesus will return and he will take vengeance on those. Who are those that he will take vengeance on? Paul doesn't leave us wondering in verse 8 at the end on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes put the slide on the screen here in just a moment, the simple plan. God is pro-choice relative to his offer of salvation, but not after death. I'd be interested to see the line of those who would be found righteous, those who would be found in the right relationship with God, and those who wouldn't, and those who would try to line up in the middle and ask for one more chance, one more opportunity to make a change, one more opportunity to do something, to become gospel obedient. God is pro-choice about his offer of salvation, but there will come a time after death that he will not be pro-choice any longer. It's why we sing songs of encouragement. It's why we assemble together to encourage each other. That this does not have to be a scary proposition. The inflaming fire does not have to be some type of terrible thought for us. Taking vengeance does not have to be something that we are afraid of. If we will become gospel obedient even this day. The simple plan of salvation is extended to you. This morning, as long as you are here upon this earth and blessed with time, we put, a, we put a slide up like this the last few weeks regarding the steps that a person must take, the things that a person must do. We oftentimes say it culminates with being baptized, immersed into water for the forgiveness of your sins so that the Lord can add you to His church. We're thankful, though, that God is pro-choice even after we become a Christian. Even after he adds us to the church, we're thankful that he's pro-choice that we would sometimes have a chance to still fix it when we make mistakes. Another question this morning to consider, are you wayward? In Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, the passage we usually point out for God's second law of pardon, we see those who would be gathered there to be told to repent therefore of this thine wickedness and pray to God. Perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. I'm thankful sometimes that he can't just hit someone upside the head and make them a Christian. It's a choice. I'm thankful as well that when we mess up, he doesn't just strike us dead. That we have an opportunity to repent and pray for forgiveness and he is willing to do just that. That we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. God is pro-choice. I don't know if you had thought about that before, but as we pointed out in our third point, he's not pro-choice when it comes to the way our country usually defines that term, but he is pro-choice on many other things up to a certain point or up to a certain decision. You're here this morning. You have not died. You have not passed away yet. You have an opportunity to make a change. Do you need to become a Christian? Or do you need to come back to Him? We're assembled here together to encourage each other. So that no one has to leave worrying or wondering about that. If you're here and you're subject to the Lord's invitation. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.